0: enfolding every race, nation, and language. Then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. Thanks for listening, and if you have any thoughts, any questions, or comments, then send me an email to greg at consideringcatholicism.com. And subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. And would you please share them with friends or on your social media so that we can grow our audience and enlarge the conversation. Today, I want to talk about why it's just so hard for Protestants to even consider Catholicism. You see, Protestantism is deeply suspicious of Catholicism. The Protestants' defensive shields are always up when talking about faith of the Church with a Catholic. In fact, many Protestants wonder whether Catholics are actually Christians at all. I know this because I was a Protestant evangelist and apologist, and I knew and used all the tools on their workbench to argue that Catholicism was a deviation from the one true and faithful church that Christ intended to build. But my road to Roman Catholicism began not because of some Catholic hurling, competing Bible verses back at me. It was when I became aware, self-aware, that my Protestant faith lived within, inside of a worldview, a, a framework of assumptions and assertions that, well, within them made Catholicism incomprehensible or nonsensical. You see, within my worldview, Catholicism couldn't be true. But when I became aware of that, When I began to see and then examine those assumptions and assertions, Catholicism became at least conceptually possible. And at that point, I could compare and contrast it to my Protestant theology. And the outcome of all that was that I came to realize, well, as another convert G.K. Chesterton said, Catholicism was true. But none of that could ever have happened until I worked through the framework of the Protestant worldview. And that worldview is defined by five assertions, the five solas as they are known in Latin. Faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and the glory of God alone. And so I invited a friend who had converted at the same time that I did, Corey Lakatos, who you've met on this podcast many times before to sit down and talk about evangelization, apologetics, and the Protestant worldview built upon the five solas. So welcome back, Corey.
1: Thanks. Glad to be back.
0: You sound like you have a cold today, Corey. I, I
1: do, so I'll I'll try not to like sneeze or cough into the mic. I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's lending your voice gravitas.
0: Yes, very deep. That's right, deep and gravelly, and <coughs> makes you sound wiser.
1: Well, that's that's good that it sounds that way and not like I'm at death's door. Or something.
0: <laughs> well, those things are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> true, Sometimes, true. as we a near death's door, we become wiser.
1: That is my hope for myself. Yes, <laughs> by God's grace. That's right. <laughs> So today
0: we're going to talk, I want to start off today actually talking a little bit about the purpose of this podcast um, and what it is and kind of what is, it isn't.
1: Sure, right? begin with the end
0: in mind. Yeah, right. The telos. So let's make a differentiation between evangelism or evangelization, however you want to say it, uh-huh. and apologetics. Okay. Why don't you explain from your perspective what the definition of those two terms are?
1: Sure. So evangelization or evangelism, the the, term evangelization is more typical of Catholics, evangelism more typical of Protestants. We're talking about the same kinds of things, um, is literally sharing the good news. That's what the Greek essentially means. And so that's preaching the gospel, helping people to come to Christ. Um, and of course, there are many ways that you can do that, but that's the goal is you're trying to bring people in by sending the message out to them. Um, apologetics um, is is offering an explanation or uh a rationale for what we believe um it's not apology in the sense of like, oh I'm sorry, uh my bad, the way that we use the word a lot um but in in trying to to give reasons for our faith um as as we're told in the scripture so it's explaining why we believe certain things or how um what we believe by faith um is uh, not against what we believe by reason um it's it's a rational dialogue
0: really. right. You know, the Greek word, uh, the Greek uh, root for apologetics is apologia, apologia, and that was defense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Socrates at his trial offers his apologia was Apolo- right. defense. And in some, you might be able to think of apologetics in some ways as defensive, right? It's defending um, the truth of your
1: faith. Right. Uh, there are attacks coming up at it and you're... Try to parry them. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, against
0: critique or criticism or whatever. The rational—it's often defined as the rational defense of the faith. Right. Evangelization or evangelism, uh, in some ways, might almost be considered more of an, an, an offensive sure, strategy. Sure. Hopefully not. Hopefully not <laughs> offensive. Right. Right. Um, but it's off offensive without being hopefully right. offensive. You're, and you're, that is, you're taking the initiative. You're taking the initiative, and you're initiating conversation toward the goal of persuasion and conversion. Right. Um, and now, depending on who you're talking to, uh, that might take a more or less right brain or left brain sort of approach. Sure. You know, sure. if you're talking to somebody who's uh, educated in intellectual evangelization, will will take a more intellectual and, uh, you know, studied sort of conversation. And if you're talking to somebody who, you know, is more right brain, maybe you're focusing on the artistic and, you know, we've talked about before the way of truth or the way of goodness or the way of beauty. But really what we're trying to do with evangelization is persuade rather than defend.
1: Right. And persuasion certainly doesn't exclude reason, um, rational argument, but it's not limited to it.
0: Right, I mean, I think it would be like a Venn diagram where you look at apologetics and evangelization, and there's certainly an area where they overlap. If you're going to engage in um, really helping somebody to understand the Christian faith or the Catholic faith, or with you know, so if you're talking to non-Christians and you're trying to bring them into Christianity, right, or if you're talking from a from a Catholic perspective, talking to non-Catholics and trying to draw them into the Catholic faith, in either case, there's going to be issues about which you're going to have to sort of take a evangelistic sort of, uh, approach, uh, also, and at, and at certain points, the conversation or the relationship you may have to do an apologetics approach. So a little bit of it is offering reasons to believe and then, uh, countering, uh, their objections. Right. And, and so I don't like the dichotomy between evangelization and apologetics sometimes gets made, uh, in the church as if the two things are completely different. People who are pro evangelization will say, treat apologetics like a dirty word. And sometimes apologists think evangelization is sort of lowbrow or, or you know, not as sophisticated. And I think that's, they're both off base. They really, it really has to do within a conversation, the back and forth of a conversation. And at various points, you're going to have to be able to, you know, offer again, and as first Peter, first uh, Peter 315, you know, always be prepared to offer a reason for the hope that you have, mm-hmm. but also then be prepared to defend
1: uh, against their, their, uh, their objections. Right, absolutely. The church needs both and they really have a symbiotic relationship. Right. You're, if you're doing evangelization for long enough, you're gonna end up needing apologetical tools. Right. Um, and if you're doing apologetics, then hopefully it's at the service of the evangelization. Right. So why are we talking about this? Because
0: today's topic really, I think, straddles that line. If it was a Venn diagram, it's in the, the intersection point of those two circles, right? right? So what we're gonna talk about today is the Protestant worldview. And I had spoken about this in, in a previous episode about the Eucharist, um, but you know, we had some emails from listeners. Uh, and by the way, you know, you can always email questions or comments. I love getting those emails. Email me at greg at consideringcatholicism.com with any questions or comments or suggestions you have. Mm-hmm. But we've gotten some emails uh, from some people who are... Uh, not Catholic, but are considering Catholicism and trying to work through some of the issues that they have. Uh-huh. And they asked some questions or suggested some topics. And one of them came up is this notion of, you know, the, the Protestant worldview and how that worldview frames the conversation so that Catholic arguments, and I'm going to use the, by the way, I'm going to use the word arguments and a lot of people hate that word sure, because they're, they, under, they're understanding of argument is like people screaming at each right, other, right. but I'm using the technical sense of the word, right? So in a technical sense of the word, an argument is a rational um,
1: proposition. Right. right. And that's not essentially mean spirited or anything.
0: No, no. I mean, you know, I, I, I might you know, offer an argument for why I think
1: that mint chocolate chip is a better, you know, <laughs> a more superior ice cream flavor than, right. you know, whatever. You and know. I may disagree with you and say we should get, I don't know, the butter pecan or something, but that, right. that's not like because I hate you or we're going to, you know, yeah. jump to high volume conversation.
0: Yeah. And we can compromise by each ordering our own thing. But right. the point is, is that an argument is a, a, a proposition, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to... Um, This this dialogue, this evangelization, apologetics, dance conversation that we have. One of the problems is that a lot of times the Catholic position is, as I said in an earlier episode, either incomprehensible to the Protestant. Like they hear the words you're saying, but they don't make any sense. Right, right, right. Because the, the Protestant operates within a certain worldview. It's a conceptual framework. And like all of us, our worldview worldview consists of various values and assumptions and premises or whatever that are foundational and often unquestioned and often that we're even unaware of, but they are the framework through which we we, uh, understand everything. So if you think of it like there's this geodesic dome that you're living in and the framework of the structure of the geodesic dome are those those worldview assumptions and values and within as long as you're inside and operating inside of it stuff from the outside doesn't make any sense Right. I right. mean, you and I were talking before we started the recorder about, um, we earlier in an earlier episode, we had talked about the the metaphor of flatland. Right, right. You know, talk about that maybe as a way to understand this.
1: Yeah. So we talked about this in the context of the metaphysics of the mass, but it, it's applicable here too. Um, flatland is this sort of thought experiment where you have a completely two-dimensional um, plane, universe, um, place, um, and you have people who live there um and so they they understand and interact with the world in a purely two-dimensional way they're, so they have the,
0: the x and the y axis right. right so they're 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 uh they go this way you know they go long and wide but they're infinitely skinny
1: Right. Exactly. Completely flat. And so if something three-dimensional, say from our world, um, intersected their plane, um, they would not be able to understand it in its totality because they would understand, oh, this extends up and down rather than just side to side on that XY flat plane. And so they might bump into part of it and go around it, say it's a ball or something that, that's intersecting their plane. Um, but that would be all that they would understand of it. And, and they couldn't get the totality. Yeah, of it. it wouldn't right. make sense
0: right so the ball is just a sort of wall that they can move around but they yeah they don't don't see what's behind it well, and so that we were talking before they started the recorder about how worldviews function that way mm-hmm. in as much as when um someone presents you uh an argument or uh an idea that comes from outside that worldview it it, it it's not comprehensible in this fullness and so what we're trying to get at in this way, there's a lot of setup for this, but I, I think it's, it's important to set up why we're talking about this and, and how it works, is that uh, we're going to talk about the Protestant worldview today and some of the assumptions and values that make it up. And in the context of that too, by the way, you know, we're, we're, this podcast is, if I had to say on that, that scale um, of where evangelization is on one side and apologetics is on the other uh, i I think we lean on the evangelization side right. um, I would like to do more in our ministry, one rolling adventure and considering Catholicism with apologetics, but at this time until we uh until we grow the ministry a little bit more and uh we w- maybe someday we'll offer some more apologetics kinds of podcasts and or episodes and and things like that, but uh right now we're limited in how much we can produce so by the way, anyone out there who wants to support one rolling adventure yeah. in this ministry uh we are looking for uh supporters who help us grow it and so uh uh, write me an email, Greg at dot <laughs> if you're willing to help us to grow this ministry, because we have some exciting ideas. Nevertheless, all of this is an elaborate setup to say that what we're going to talk about today is these the five components that are the foundational assumptions of Protestantism, of the Protestant worldview. And they're they're called the five solas. S O L A. A sol, sola means alone. So, Solas are the five alones or the five onlys. And uh, the, all of the Protestant reformers, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, you know, all of them operated um, with these assumptions. Either they were more or less stated. Sure. But it, certainly within the first couple of generations of Protestantism began to be categorized. And, and they really became sort of the battle cry of the Reformation. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen or met people who uh protestants who are super proud of that that like you can know, get the five solas tattooed on their arm or whatever because mm-hmm. these are the battle cry of the reformation um and they form uh the fundamental ground and they were formed basically as a polemic they were formed as a way for luther calvin zwingli all the rest of them to sort of uh, uh lock out or shut down the catholic the catholic catholic argument.
1: Right, they're they're kind of master ideas that shut out different catholic ideas. So you can right. propose a particular thing that's distinctively catholic and oh that's blocked by sola fide yeah. or that's blocked by sola scriptura. It's like the
0: shields. Right. Like you know, if this is um Star Trek or Star Wars or Star something or other, right? Yes. Uh <laughs> you know, whatever, uh, they've got the shields up. And these are the five shields of the Reformation. So, you want to run through what the five shields of the Reformation
1: are? Yeah, so you have sola scriptura or uh, scripture alone uh you have uh sola christus um am i saying that that right christus yeah uh, christ um, christ alone um sola fide faith alone sola gratia um grace alone and then uh sola deo gloria uh, did i mix yeah. up the latin yeah sola deo gloria latin yeah. is not my first language um so uh, toward the glory of god alone yeah. so it's the five onlys uh basically um
0: faith only scripture only grace only christ, christ only and god's glory only right right mm-hmm. and those again you know it, what's interesting about those is that none of them is r- really a constructive argument they're even framed like polemically because they're they're basically framed in the negative right right so in other words they don't in a sense tell you what you do believe and this is i think one of the flaws of protestantism it doesn't tell you what you actually believe it tells you what you don't believe anything that's other than this Right. Mm-hmm. When you say faith only, grace only, scripture only, what you're saying is um, yeah, essentially a
1: negative. It's, it's framed as a negative proposition, right? Right. It's setting up a wall of within this, that's acceptable. If it's outside of that, that's not acceptable.
0: Yeah. And I would say it really is polemic in the sense that it's saying uh, anything outside this, I mean, they intended to, to, to shut, like, as we said, a shield. So right, It's a defense right. against it. So. These five solas form this kind of framework, this geodesic dome or whatever. And if you're operating, it, operating within it, it is a little bit like flatland. Because if, if you present Catholic ideas, so if you're doing a Catholic evangelization or if you're a Catholic and you encounter uh, Catholic ideas, you're drawn or attracted to Catholicism or whatever, um, what happens is you, the, the five solas come up as your five sh- lo- layers of shields or shields from five vectors or whatever, right? Your side shields, your front shield, your back shield, whatever. And they sort of block out Catholic ideas and it becomes like flatland. So when you talk about something, the Protestant goes, oh, wait a minute, hold on, stop. So let me give you a perfect example. I know you sure. know this as well. I was actually talking to somebody recently and I mentioned, um, we were talking about Catholicism and Catholic ideas and I, and I mentioned some of the church fathers, you know, well, some of the church fathers, you know, believe this. Um, and he's like, who are the church fathers and why should we listen to them? And I'm like, well, these were the guys who in the second, third, fourth century, you know, you know, framed it. The great, you know, and his thing was like, well, who are those guys who cares what they say? Right. right. Because we should listen to the Bible alone. They're not in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, scripture alone. And they proudly quote scripture alone, scripture alone, scripture only. And so I go, well, yeah, but I mean, already by, you know, the second century, within generation two of the apostles, this is what's going on. Well, they were wrong. They were wrong then, you know, um, the, the church fell off the rails. And the only thing that has any authority is scripture. So don't tell me what, you know, Polycarp wrote or don't tell me what Irenaeus wrote or don't tell me what Augustine wrote because that's irrelevant, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, it, I, I've seen that a lot, that it, it makes a lot of what Catholics say seem irrelevant or nonsensical or, or simply just kind of bizarre and, and um, superfluous. Like, why, right. why bother with, with that?
0: Right. I recently um, shared uh, with a, a Protestant my little chapel in the Pines uh, that I have uh, out at our secret, uh, One Willing Adventure secret compound, and they were just horrified that, uh, you know, I've got a crucifix out there and, you know, Statue of Mary and Joseph and some other little little icons and right, things right. like that. And they go, what do you do out here? And I go, I, "I, you know, I pray my rosary and, you know, I say my Catholic prayers and they go, they're absolutely horrified. And it's like Flatland, like the, the sphere, the apple dipping into Flatland. They can't comprehend it because all you need is faith. If you believe in Jesus, that's it. Do you? And they're like, why do you need to do all of this? Like all this is superfluous. Why, why do you need to do this? God doesn't ask you to do all of this, you know. Look in the Bible; He never tells you to do this. And so again, that sola scriptura, that sola faith, uh, faith, that that you know, faith alone, scripture alone, um, grace alone, right, right, right. And so what it does is it shuts down all conversation. So this is why we're talking about this today, because if you are a Protestant who is considering Catholicism, or you are a Catholic who's Conversing with uh, a Protestant, what you're going to do is run up against how these five solas operate as defense shields. Right. Right. So, because we were both Protestants, uh, I think we have a little bit of standing um, to discuss this because we both we both sure we've come at it from both sides well i yeah i mean i i both of us i mean, i can speak for myself i lived within that world the five solas were my my five you know defense shields you know on my starship or whatever right <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh as long as i was you know securely ensconced within them catholic ideas couldn't come at me
1: yeah and and i think because you come from a calvinist background and i come from a lutheran background those were more clearly articulated like these are our the solas are something we would have been taught in our formation and would have been able to articulate. It's somewhat more subconscious with, with some Christians, especially um, sort of non-denominational or evangelical Christians, where these are still like the programming that they're running um, in their, in their mind, but they might not uh, articulate it
0: that way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say your average strip mall evangelical right? I mean, you know what I mean by that, right? The, the uh-huh. you know, non-denominational church in a strip mall. And I say that with some, uh, you know, uh, affection <laughs> we've because <been> I, there. <laughs> we've both been there, we've both attended and I pastored and worked within a lot of, I've, I've spent a lot of time inside strip mall, um, you know, uh, evangelical non-denominational churches. Uh, but your, your typical strip mall, evangelical, non-denominational, you know, person, believes the five solas they are utterly baked into the cake yeah yeah i would actually say that they are they become sort of the defining tenets of the worldview now if you ask them what are the five solas in latin they i have no idea what you're right, talking right, about right. but if you, you said to them um should we believe anything other than the bible no i mean we believe in the bible and you know the bible is god's word and it's holy sufficient and you know everything we need and i'd say well, do we need anything other than believe in jesus no you know and and uh, salvation is a free gift and you know so on and so forth and anything that you know uh, uh and we can't have popes or bishops or you know whatever that draw glory away from god right what's right? the point of all that yeah. yeah right so so those and and anything that's not about jesus is irrelevant right so these are the essential i think Elements. And so we've we have had a couple of emails from readers who've said, Hey, you know, talk about this. Now, this has been the longest, slowest windup to us talking about <laughs> it, but I wanted to frame this right, you know, right. for any of our listeners. So let's, let's get into this now a little bit. How did, and what we're not going to do today, uh, unfortunately, is we just don't have time. And I say we've wasted this much time so far, and 20 minutes on this, but, but I don't think we're wasting it. Uh, look, the purpose of this episode is not to walk through the five solas and, and offer. Counter arguments to each one because sure. it's it's a game that you, you you sort of right. So the way the Protestant will, in a sense, play quote unquote play the game in the conversation is they're going to have proof texts. They're going to have two or three, you know, uh, Bible verses for each of the five solas. And as a Catholic, if you try to discuss those, they're going to throw they're going to rattle off those three or four, you know, uh, Bible verses. And say, here, 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 counter those. And so at a certain level, if you're really going to go down this path with yourself or somebody else, you're going to have to descend, Descend, but you're going to have to get into the nitty gritty. You're going to have to look at those passages and talk about them and share with other passages and show why, you know, those passages are not truly sufficient to answer the question. Right. Right. And that takes time. And we could probably do an episode on each of the five solas. Oh, easily. Yeah. And, you know, and that'd be five episodes and we walk through ding, ding, ding. And Hey, maybe someday next year, if we, if we, if we raise more support, we'll be able to do those kinds of episodes. If
1: you want to hear this, if you want to hear that,
0: you know, uh, write me an email and, and help me help us figure out how to increase the number of episodes. But the point that I'm trying to make is what, what I want to do here is more talk about the worldview and talk about the five of them in in, in, their, in totality, right? Right. And how how you as a Protestant or you as a Catholic evangelist help somebody move through and past them. So let's start with this. We both lived within those. We both had them. We're both Catholics now. So at a certain point, we both left them behind or saw their limitations or or you know uh, whatever. You know, put our shields down. Where just real briefly, can you share a little bit about how you moved past those five
1: solas as your sort of, you know, worldview? Yeah, absolutely. I I think the two for me that started to come into question first were sola scriptura and sola gratia. Um, Grace alone probably is the one that I remember first because I I I just recall sitting in you know Bible studies when I was in college um, and talking about being saved by grace and then running into, you're, you're talking about proof texting, running into things like um, in the book of James, the epistle of, of James where it talks about faith without works being dead um, or all of the Admonitions in the letters of Saint Paul against falling away um, from the faith, falling into sin, away from Christ, or for that matter, like all all of Christ's teachings on on being holy, like the Father is holy, being perfect, like like the Father is perfect, um, and the the grace alone concepts somewhere along the line stop making sense to me, um, and it, and it's really the the alone or the sola part that that is problematic because of course. Grace like what we receive from God is is grace I'm not going to become holy without grace that is a gift but if it's grace alone and it's not me cooperating with that grace and growing in holiness by God's grace if, if there isn't the element of what I'm doing again not on my own strength on on, on God's grace but if, if that's not involved then a lot of the scripture stops making sense. And and a lot of just the practical stuff of life stops making sense. I, I think that was part of it. A lot of it for me with all of these. Um, but starting with this one is that I just realized I wasn't, I was saying grace alone, but I wasn't really living grace alone. Like, I don't know if it's possible to practically speaking, live grace alone because you just be a vegetable you wouldn't be doing anything it wouldn't be the Christian life um, and it was similar with with scripture alone because especially again in those formative years in college when I was encountering other types of Christians and sitting in Bible studies and hashing these things out and in conversations about the scriptures I was realizing that none of us were really living scripture alone because if we were we'd all be doing the Christian life the same way um, there had to be some kind of Framework for how we were approaching the scriptures, a a hermeneutic, Um, and that necessarily has to be outside of the scriptures themselves—the the the very words that they have—a way for us to understand and apply this. And the Lutherans were doing it differently than the Calvinists, than definitely the the Catholics were. Um, And if that was true, then it wasn't scripture alone, um, sola scriptura. Again, it's the sola or the alone that's the problem. Yes, definitely scripture. That's that's essential and and central but there's has to be something um also beyond that um and that this was way before i was looking at the catholic church at all it was just kind of as as my understanding of of god's word and of theology was was growing at that time in my life um those categories the the uh, the sort of exclusivity the hard exclusivity of the solas um was just wasn't making as much sense anymore mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll talk I'll take will talk about three of them real quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll start with the the grace alone thing. So I, you know, I had gone to a Calvinist seminary, uh-huh. and when I graduated, I was ordained into a Calvinist denomination, and so I had to sign at my ordination a, a document, the you know whatever oath of office kind of thing, sure. uh, where you agree yeah. to the doctrinal statements of the denomination, and so it was a very Uh, hard-edged in the sense of, you know, kind of an absolute Calvinist um, document, which includes necessarily the five points of Calvinism, um, tulip, which includes, of course, double predestination. Right. And, you know, the notion that God elects some to salvation and he elects some to damnation, irrespective of whatever they do. Right, in a positive way of like he's making that. He chooses, he creates some people for glory and some for destruction. Right. And God fully wills that and chooses to do that and irrespective of anything uh, that they do or. Right. And uh, that is I think if you take the sola uh, gracias, the the grace alone, and I think what Calvinism is, especially double predestination Calvinism, is it's taking that idea as only taking all the five solas, and running them as far out as that line will go.
1: Which in a sense, I mean, I respect because that's the logical conclusion. Yeah. Like if you stop before that, you're not really honoring the principle.
0: Well, and see when I went off to when I found Calvinism as a college student, right. Uh, as a brand new Christian, because I converted to Christianity and I, and I, and I, and I, and I I was attracted at first to Catholicism, but long story, I won't tell now. Um, I, you know, I fell in with this Calvinist <laughs> crowd, this rowdy Calvinist crowd, and there was something that appealed to my 21 year old mind about the absolutism of that and the, the seriousness of it. like, if you believe this, then then have the guts to Follow that where it goes logically. Right, And if right. you follow that where it goes logically, the five solas in particular, the, the grace alone, you follow it to the end of the line where the train, trains don't go any, you know, past where the trains don't go anymore, uh-huh. you end up in double predestination. And so when I got out of seminary and I started doing missions work and church planting and some other kinds of things, all, all of a sudden I, I began to question because I was starting to reread Catholicism again. And, and, and it struck me that double predestination was sort of indefensible. And, and that became sort of, for me, a crack in those, like, wait a minute, I, th- this doesn't, I, I, I can't square this with scripture. I can't square it with, right? It, it, it doesn't square with scripture, reason, Christian tradition, right, whatever. Right. And I found it increasingly difficult to sort of defend the, the, the logic of that. And so that was a crack for me in the, in the grace alone thing. The, the scripture alone was a little bit like, a, you know, your, your saint's namesake, uh, Newman is that as I got a little bit older and I began to read the church fathers and the early church documents, um, I began to go further and further back. And, I, you know, you, you read Polycarp, St. Polycarp. Well, St. Polycarp was, by all accounts, the protege of, of the apostle John. Right,
1: so a generation right?
0: after the apostles. Yeah, and, per, and, and mentored. D- directly. Directly right. mentored by John. And then you began to look at uh, books like uh, documents like the Didache, and, and, um, and the letter of Clement, right? And these are all like end of the first century, like the, the generation immediately after the apostles. And they all include basically tenets of Catholic doctrine. And so I, I began, it began to be very difficult for me to square the scripture alone thing um, with the fact that the people who were the protégés of, the, um, of the, the apostles, some of them like Clement are actually mentioned, Sure. In the apostles' yeah. letters, in the epistles, who apparently got it all wrong. And so then I was forced to either say, either the first generation immediately after the apostles completely misunderstood everything that they taught, and then God allowed the church to live in error for 1,500 years until Martin Luther banged his things on the door on Halloween. Right. And that, be, increasingly, as time went on, it became that became intellectually, I mean, almost indefensible to me. Like I I couldn't make that argument with a straight face. And so that led me to start asking some questions about whether uh, the apostles wrote down in the New Testament everything that they taught. (laughs) Right, right. right. I mean, maybe they taught some things that they didn't write
1: down. And then that started me down a path. Well, you even have allusions in some of those letters about, uh, you know, follow everything that you received from us, whether, you know, in a letter. or. Or otherwise. Yeah.
0: And then the third one for me was the soul of faith thing. And, and this is, you were there because I was, I was doing a teaching series at a church. We were both a part of um, mm-hmm. a number of years ago um, before we entered the Catholic church. And uh, it was going to be like a, I don't know, 12 week or 18 week or some crazy thing um, teaching series on, on the sermon on the Mount. So I just went deep into studying, you know, yep, Matthew five, that. six, seven, And at a certain point along the way, just like I had this epiphany, this light bulb goes off, you know, over my head. And I had been taught, you know, from the earliest time that I encountered Christianity as a college student through Campus Crusade and InterVarsity and, you know, Navigators and all these kinds of uh, evangelical ministries that the starting point to understand the New Testament, the starting point to understand Christianity is what they called the Romans Road. Okay, so that is a series of, of passages, like eight or 10 or 12 um, verses out of the book of Romans. Right. You start with Romans one, and then, you know, certain verses in Romans one, and then you skip the couple of verses in Romans three, and then you skip, and you kind of, and it, it is like you skip on this little, um, like a stone across a pond. or skipping over like whole sections <laughs> of Romans, but if you pick these eight or 10 or 12 verses out of Romans and you lay them out in sequence, that that is how you're supposed to understand. Uh, that's your supposed to be your entry point into Christianity. And it's the framing point for how you understand the New Testament. And in that, uh, like uh, you know, you camp on like uh Romans three that we're saved by by faith, and then they insert faith alone. And I have a friend of mine who's a Lutheran seminary pro- college professor, and he will argue with me that it does say faith alone. I
1: mean, we get into this really kind
0: of crazy thing about that. Um, but anyway, when I was teaching the thing on the, the Sermon on the Mount, it just one night while I was preparing, I just had this light bulb go off from my head and I go, why is, are these verses from Romans the entry point into the New Testament instead of the Sermon on the Mount? Like if you were just going to arbitrarily choose the first thing that you should read in the new testament Mm -hmm. and if i'm a protestant and i'm like scripture alone christ alone you go well maybe the place i should start is christ's sermon (laughs) right yeah there's a certain logic to that, right? I mean, it's scripture and it's, it's Jesus, Jesus, right? So why don't we, the first, if I was going to say to somebody, hey, let me tell you about Christianity. The first thing I'm going to show you is Jesus's sermon. Get out your red letter Bible, the first red. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, instead of skipping over to some selected verses from Paul's letter to the Romans, and I'm not planning to say one of them is true and on the other end, but one of them, they So here's the thing. What I realize is if your entry point into the New Testament is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and that becomes, in a sense, the framing device or the framing lens for how you read everything else, the New Testament comes off as way more Catholic. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount first and then read Romans... Romans sounds way more Catholic than if you read Romans, selected verses from Romans, and then read the Sermon on the Mount through the lens of Romans.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, but for me, or to my mind, it's even more fundamental than that, because if you're arguing, as either position would be, that you need a framework and guide rails, essentially, for approaching the Bible or approaching the New Testament in order to understand it, then you've, you've already exploded the idea of Sola Scriptura.
0: Right. Yeah, but I mean, even if you were to just think in terms of the narrative, um, so what came first,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Like place these things in order. First, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, and then the apostles heard it, and then they began to write epistles, right? And so for them, the the starting point was the Sermon on the Mount. And I guess what I'm driving at, how this cracks the sola, the, the, the faith alone deal, is that when you read that, it certainly doesn't contradict anything in Romans,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it does help you understand that 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 faith is not mere belief right it's not mere intellectual assent faith is entering into and agreeing with and living uh, the belief and that's why jesus says you know blessed are those who blessed are those who blessed are those and then he goes on and so on and so forth and gives all these examples and all these parables and what he's saying is that it is not mere intellectual assent to the proposition that jesus died and rose again it is jesus died and rose again and if we enter into the reality of that and if we live the reality of that we live into christ Mm -hmm. and i think paul agrees with that which is why i think that the 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 verses from romans are Um, cherry-picked and so i think martin luther just basically went through and cherry-picked Verses. I mean, seriously, I think that's that's what happened, and we can get into the argument sure, about sure, that. But, sure. but no, I do. I think I think that, that Luther kind of cherry picked those those verses. Um, so, in any case, those were three ways that the solas got cracked for me. And then, I guess the point is, is that once your shields start going down, so I know like you're a star guy um, i do both i am very
1: are ecumenical
0: about, you ecumenical about, about space your... <laughs> opera i'll
1: do star wars and, and star trek
0: right <laughs> my wife my wife still says i don't understand the difference <laughs> she goes it's star or something or other she goes i can't keep the difference straight uh, and i go wow. yeah she's one of those people yes but uh well you know god made lots of different kinds of people right so but in any case uh right so once the shields the Klingons or whoever starts like battering the shields. And once your shields start going down, you, you become vulnerable. And in a sense, once you begin to ask, I think very fair questions about whether these solas, which, which are assumptions and premises um, that are largely unexamined, once you begin to examine them, you realize that maybe... Um, they, they, they aren't absolute and, and that, and that
1: starts you down a path, right? Yeah. Or, or to reframe the metaphor in a somewhat more positive sense. Cause I mean, in that metaphor, once your shields are down, you get blasted out of the sky <laughs> right. by the Klingons. <laughs> um, it, it, imagine almost as if you're, you're in prison or something and right. there are five walls or something keeping yep. you from getting out. And as yep. those walls are getting either you're from the inside, dismantling them or someone from the outside is, is you know, destroying them bit by bit. You're able to escape from that, yeah. essentially. Or, or perhaps a more erudite reference would be Plato's cave. Sure, sure, we can do the cave.
0: The, the, we can do the cave, uh, right? Which is basically like flatland. So Plato says, hey, the guys, you know, you look it up, but you know, Plato's like <laughs> the guy who's raised in the cave and only sees the the shadows on the walls and then uh-huh. he goes up and sees the real world. All of a sudden it begins to, to you, you get a perspective that's bigger and you realize that, I I, I think the five solas in that Protestant worldview are incredibly limiting.
1: Right. Well, well, yeah, that word sola is, is meant to do that. There's, there's sort of a, you might call it a cliche, but it's cliche because it's true that that Protestantism tends to be either or, and Catholicism tends to be both and. Mm-hmm. Um, the sola scriptura, all of the solas, are very either or statements. They're this and not that. Um, whereas in in a Catholic approach to to theology and scripture, it tends to be um, this and that, or oh. or how how we harmonize
0: um, principles. Well, by its very name, right? I mean, Protestantism, in a sense, is framed negatively. It mm-hmm. is protesting. It's not Catholicism, and it's not orthodoxy, right? I mean, right, you right. know, the Eastern Orthodox, it's not that. And um, and I think that's where this is made a conversation another day where why the term evangelicals was developed. Because the notion was evangelicals is saying something that you stand for, not what something that you stand against. So if you say you're a Protestant, essentially what you're saying is I'm not a Catholic. If you say you're an evangelical in theory you're you're saying you're for some things. Let's not go down that path. Yeah yeah there's a lot there. (laughs) But but there's a lot there. But the point, the point is is that 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 Protestant worldview is five solas cut you off they not only cut you off to the 1500 years of christianity three quarters of the life of of christian of the christian of you know of christianity prior to luther and calvin they also exclude you from the other half of it even today which is not only catholicism but orthodoxy Mm -hmm. and the non-protestant right the 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 traditional you know orthodox positions so protestantism really is mean, to your analogy of a prison or whatever an island it really is It really is a, a castle or an island or a fortress that, that defends against the broadest life of, of the Orthodox Church uh, and, and, and to the ancient church that, that has preserved the teaching of the apostles down through the ages. Right, right. So real quickly as we kind of wind in this now, because we, <laughs> dear, dear listener, we told you <laughs> that we aren't going to descend into proof texting against the five solas, but let's just walk through them just you know, for a minute each sure. and just talk sure. about, what, you know, maybe a quick take on each of them. So we've talked a little bit about um, but let's, let's start, you know, the soul grace alone, right? Mm.
1: What, f- rephrase that in a positive Catholic way. Sure. I would say um, grace is what saves us. It's what empowers us. Um, but we cooperate with that grace right. um, that, that God, the, the, the yeah. kind of classic scholastic phrases that grace builds on nature, that, that it empowers us to do. God's will rather than God just kind of using grace as like the strings on a marionette to jerk us around in the way that he wants us to go.
0: Yeah. I mean, grace is a grace is a gift. Absolutely. And it's it not deserved. But we must yeah. receive the gift, mm-hmm. right? And apply the gift. Um, so that so we, we to your, use your term or the classic term, we cooperate or we, as Paul says, we work out our salvation, Sure, uh, which is a gift to us, but then we work it out. Uh, and and apply it. And that doesn't detract from the nature, its initial nature as a gift. Uh, Faith alone.
1: Yeah, so it's faith without works is dead. Again, um, St. James in his epistle or or faith worked out in love. So like you said earlier, that faith is not... Christian faith is not simply belief or assent um, saying, yes, that is, I believe that to be true, but it's living in accordance with um, and acting in accordance with um, what is true about God and, and essentially trusting and, and living in faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Scripture alone. Scripture, yes, um, but that the Catholic position is that uh, the apostles, like you said, also taught orally and not everything that Christ taught was written down. That's called sacred tradition that has been passed on to um, the, the church is guaranteed um, that as the deposit of faith in addition to the scripture. And those two work together that they're not um, contradicting each other. So I think Vatican II responded specifically
0: to this because, right, right. you know, the, the, the Reformation was back there and for the last 500 years, right. of course, this has been thing. And so Vatican II in one of its constitutions, specifically the, the constitution De Verbum, basically frames it as sola De Verbum, right? right. We want to, you know, what is David?
1: yeah so that's the word of god um which is a more um expansive concept than the Sola scripture scriptura. Right, so the scripture is just the written word the written word of god um th- that the word of god ultimately is christ i mean think think of the prologue to to john's gospel in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the word was made flesh so so christ is the word of god he is god's revelation of himself to us and he taught his apostles and they wrote scripture and they passed on tradition and right. that is how we receive the word right so yeah sola de verbum rather than sola scriptura sola christus right and and of course in a, in a sense it is all about christ i mean no no catholic would would deny that but that christ has colossians one makes that Completely clear, right? Yeah, and and that all things are drawn together in Christ, but that's just the point that that the creation is drawn together in Christ, and and especially the church is drawn together. So, so whether it's Mary or the other saints or 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 the church, you know, that I walk or drive to down the block, the people involved with that, they're they are part of Christ, they're members of His body, and yes, Christ. It is it is totally Christ's sacrifice and Christ's merits that that save us. But the way that he he has that happen in our lives is is very often, I'd probably say always, involves the people that he puts in our lives, whether they're the saints or whether they're individuals uh-huh. we interact with on a day to day basis. So. Christ is incarnated
0: not only in the body that he lived in and his risen body, but he's incarnated in his body, the church. Right. And one of the things I think that the, the way that, that when the Reformation says Christ alone, it, it in a sense abstracts Jesus from the fullness of his body. As Catholics, of course, it's Christ alone, but it's Christ as, he, as we
1: know him in all of the manifest ways that we know him. It also individualizes it, because if it's Christ alone and that's not um, mediated by the church or it, you know, it's not experienced through sacraments or, or through interactions with, with other Christians, then the, the church is a, you know, a gathering of people who believe in Christ, um, but it's, it's not necessary, really. And solo dea gloria, only the glory of
0: God Right. Now, who could be against that? Right. Exactly. Right? But what in context, what it means that shield is that no honor is given to uh, the ch- to church, to priests, to popes, to bishops, to, to saints. saints, to anything. Right. So once again, it, like, like the previous point, in a sense, it abstracts God. It makes God more of an idea. And, and a lot of Protestantism, it's not coincidental, that arose just prior to the Enlightenment. It, it was a time where you began to abstract ideas from things. Mm-hmm. And what you end up with is uh, to the, the idea of the glory of God. Now, as a Protestant, I wouldn't have said that. I would say it's to God. But it renders God as, a, as an entity above and beyond the church and his body. And so we give glory to, in a sense... That abstracted person of God rather than the manifested presence of God uh, as he wants to be known in this world through.
1: Yeah, and, and similar to what we were saying with with Christ alone, um, to the glory of God alone. Uh, if if you frame it that way, then you're missing the uh, the fact that God is glorified in His creatures when His creatures share in His glory. Um, and so, whether that's that's us or the saints that have come before us who are in heaven now, that that doesn't detract from God's glory. Uh, if if I were to worship anything else, as as only God is due. That would certainly would, but but the fact that someone has been glorified by God, their their glory is His work. And if I praise them, I'm praising Him for doing that work and for for giving them that glory. So
0: I'm gonna I'm to close this uh, as we're getting a little bit long in the tooth here, but close mm-hmm. this maybe with a, a, an anecdote that you might appreciate as a, as sure. a Lutheran on the uh, glory of God alone. So the first time that I went to Rome and went to St. Peter's Basilica, mm-hmm. right. Uh, like my best friend from college and all that uh, is a Lutheran college professor now, Uh, uh-huh. you know, teaches philosophy of religion and all this stuff. And so I was in St. Peter's Basilica for the first time as a new Catholic. And I took, um, <laughs> I, I took a picture, you know, a couple of pictures with my phone in there and I texted him to him. Sure. And uh, I said, you know, look where I am kind of thing, Right. And he replies back within like five, 10 minutes, you know, from the United States. And he says, um, uh, it was built with the, you know, by extracting, you know, the pennies of poor German peasants, you know, and they built it on the poverty and, and, you know, blah, 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 of poor German peasants, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and then the like, little next text bubble pops in and it goes, I'm still kind of glad they built a new because it's pretty cool. They <laughs> go, see, see, uh, it is pretty cool, and there is it glorifies of, God. It glorifies God. So, so anyway, again, uh, those are just some ways that you know if if you're working through these or if you're working. Through these with somebody who's trying to work through them. Uh, again, at a certain level, you've got to descend into the nitty gritty and the particulars of these five solas. But hopefully, this gives you a little bit of a sense for what you're dealing with. And uh, again, um, uh, there are re- lots of resources out there. We hope to create more resources as time goes on. But hey, if you've got any questions or things that you'd like us to drill a little bit deeper on, uh, write me an email, greg at So thanks, Corey. Thank you. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.